Okay, so for the next long while, we are going to be working through the gospel of John. Thank you. Who said Mark? No, not me, but you are the other one. <laughs> yes. This is the time for some solid and serious Bible study, like I said. It's going to require that we are more diligent and f more focused, maybe, than usual, as we are going to go through verse by verse and try to understand exactly what John was saying to the original people who would have read this and in the context in which he wrote this. And uh, when we start doing that, we truly see the, the depth and the richness of the message. So what better way to start than with a little bit of humor? One day, a little girl was sitting and watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink. She suddenly noticed that her mother had several strands of gray hair sticking out in contrast to her beautiful brunette hair. So she looked at her mother and inquisitively asked, why are some of your hairs white, mum? Her mother replied, well, every time that you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. The little girl thought about this for a little moment, and then her eyes went wide. She looked at her mother and said, is that why Granny has so many gray hairs? <laughs> so back to John's gospel. John's gospel is probably the easiest gospel to understand. His whole message is about Christ coming in the flesh, God incarnate. In other words, God came down to earth to die for us because he loves us. And because he died, we can have life. That's another th big theme in the gospel of John. The message is simple yet profound. In the book, the author is not identified as John. Historically, we note is John. And he refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. Although it seems like a lot is missing from John that is present in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all recorded events can quite easily fit into place. If we take the timeline of Jesus' ministry and what happened, we can fit what's not in the synoptic gospels, what is in John, we can fit it in with the synoptic gospels and vice versa. Should also be note, noted that where Matthew, Mark, and Luke seem to focus on Christ's Galilean ministry, John has a deeper perspective on Christ's Jerusalem ministry. We have to remember that different people focus on the same event from different perspectives, or different events reach them in different ways. John is known to be a very reflective writer. So whatever happens, he doesn't merely record it, but he also gives a bit of a comment on it. He reflects on what happens. Aside from that, we should have full confidence. We should have full confidence that the Holy Spirit's work in compiling this book called the Bible was done properly, and because he's the Holy Spirit, he's done it as he wants it to be, and therefore we should have full confidence too that all four Gospels are complementary and not contradictory. So when we have the Bible and we see something that looks like a contradiction, our first point of call should be this needs to be complementary rather than contradictory. That's if we stand on the pillar of sola scriptura, if we believe that it's only this scripture that has been inspired by God. If we believe that, we can understand these things. And it's actually not that bad. Some clever people who aren't so clever at the end of the day are wanting to find fault and errors in these kinds of things. But I'm quite confident that all of us are not going to have any issue with looking at the accuracies and 
discrepancies and all the rest of that. Amen. Amen. Okay. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open. And we're going to read this firstly, and then we are going to go verse by verse. Father, as we look at your word this evening, I pray that you will guide us and lead us, and that we will handle it correctly as you would want us to, in Jesus' name. Amen. John 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Excuse me. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we start with verse 1 and 2. One of the most interesting things to me is the Greek word for the beginning. Now, that is arche, and usually there's a corresponding article. So it would be te arche, but we don't see that in the Greek. We see en arche, which is in beginning, not in the beginning. Now, the clever people, again, will tell you that if it's in a, in a, as a preposition and in a phrase with a preposition, you don't really need the article. But the interesting thing to me is that the Hebrew word in Genesis 1 verse 1 is bereshit. And in Hebrew, if you want to add the definite article, you put a ha. So in Hebrew, the verse for hope is tikva. If you want it to be the hope, you put ha, ha tikva, which is also the name of the Israeli national anthem. And in Bereshit, there is no ha in beginning. And in the beginning of John's gospel, we'll see in beginning too. And to me, Maybe it's looking at it too deeply, but I think there's something very profoundly significant about that. I look at that and think, this isn't the beginning, this is beginning. There's no definite time. God exists outside of time. God is eternal. God created time. So if you want to take significance from that or not, I don't think that's too much of an issue, but to me that was the first thing that stood out there. The article the implies a definite thing, and in each case, the beginning, the beginning is not expressed as something definite in beginning, <laughs> then, whenever it was, because there wasn't a moment when God was. God always was. God was beginning. God was beginning, and God is end. He's the Alpha and Omega. Like I said to me, right at the beginning of John's Gospel, we see God's timelessness and eternal nature demonstrated. He was not created and he was not bound by the beginning of things. He caused the beginning of things. In beginning, before time, outside of time, the word Christ Jesus was there. He was there at the beginning and even before the beginning. He was with God and he was God. John 5, 58, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That doesn't make sense. I mean, you've got a present verb and you've got a past tense verb. What's going on there? It's deliberate. Doesn't make sense because God is not bound by time. Before Abraham was, before you had all your Jewish things and the law and all of the stuff that you have now, 
Before you had your seed and your promise and whatever else we looked at during the ancient nation of Israel, Jesus said to them, I am. And obviously that would have invoked the thought of back to Moses and the burning bush. When God said, I am. Jesus is identifying himself with God here. Jesus is saying, I am. I'm God. Then we get to the word. In the beginning was the word. What's the word? Hologos. Hologos. It's an important word to the Greeks. The view of logos is a supreme providential reason. It explains all things. Logos is our ability to comprehend. It makes providence for things that are being. It's the explanation. The Jewish view of logos or God's word is the power and revelation of his word. If Jewish, now logos isn't a Jewish word, but to the Jews, the word of God is his power, it's his revelation, it's, it's what he does. He speaks by his word, he created by his word. He spoke to the patriarchs by his word. He told Israel to go there by his word. He kept them safe by his word. So God's word is, in the Jewish thought, so uh, identified with God himself. So John does an interesting thing here by using this word, hologos, the word. He captures, um, or he takes the reason behind everything, the providential reason, the explanation, and he combines that with God's power and revelation. So simple. This is why everything happens, the Greek logos. This is God's power, Jewish word, and they're the same thing. God's word is the reason why everything has happened. God's word can explain everything that's happened. God's word is the reason things have come into being. The reason, you know, the sparrows build their nests and find, find food. The reasons that the seasons change at the appointed time that they're supposed to. All those things. This word, Jesus Christ, we read too, is God. The word was with God and the word was God. He's the reason and the source and the power of all creation. logos was the word. logos en prostontheon, and the word was with God. Pros implies intimate relationship between two people when it's used. Pros means with or from, but when it's used between two people, it, it implies relationship. The word was not just with God. The word was in communion with God. The word was in fellowship with God. And so we see the word being introduced not as God, but also as a person in the Trinity, as a distinct person. Again, in the Greek, it reads theos ein ologos, which literally means God was the word. We might observe here too that theos, which means God, does not have an article. So it becomes a characteristic of the word. The word was God. Characteristics of God, but God himself too. The word has divinity, which means being like God, and deity, being God himself. The word is God, but like I said, also a distinct person within the Trinity in communion with the Father. And this can be confusing. We can go in circles here. We can explain the whole doctrine of the Trinity now, but we aren't going to do that. The point is that John leaves us no room to doubt that Christ Jesus is God. 
He leaves no room to doubt that Christ Jesus is just a man or just another prophet or just another fancy teacher, as the Muslims and the Jews might tell you, and even some other Gnostics and Mormons that Christ was a created thing. No, Christ is not a created being. Christ is God. Christ is eternal. Christ existed in beginning. Colossians 2, 9, and Paul sums it up like this for us. For in him, Christ Jesus, all the fullness, not part of it, not some of it, not a perfect creation archetype, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And we'll read next week that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the weeks to come, rather, it's John's gospel is full of that. So we see in verse 1 and 2, Christ's identity is revealed as God. But he, but he starts off by saying, in the beginning was the word, God's word. The word was with God, in communion and fellowship with God, and the word was God. It's all there, stated, set in stone already. Then we move to verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the greatest philosoph philosophical questions, rather, is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? If you look at something, our assumption is that something put it there. It didn't just come from nothing. In other words, why can nothingness not be the more desirable option when we consider the world around us? Do you look around and think, okay, well... Some, there's nothing rather than something. We can't think nothingness. We think somethingness. And for the evolutionist, this might be a problem. But for the Christian, this is the solution. Because God exists as the ultimate simplicity and perfection outside of time and space and other metaphysical conditions or limits. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. So he's the standard. He's the ultimate. He is perfection. He's simplicity. Now, when I say simplicity, I mean not having complex uh, interruptions and diversions. God is simple in that he is ultimately good, and when he speaks, it's true. His word is his power and revelation. He cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. He cannot confuse his word. But when he says, it happens. That's what I mean when I'm talking about simplicity. He is the creator and without him, nothing has come to be that has come to be. That includes the visible and invisible created things, by the way. Some people might want to slip Jesus into the invisible things. Well, these created things are just the things that we see around us. No, invisible and visible created things through him, all things were created. Through him and him alone, all things were made. And we see a nice contrast here as well between the logos, which was. In the beginning, the word was. The logos ain, it was. And that which was created, egeneto, came into being. So he exists, he always was, and everything else had to come into being. 
Christ always was, everything else was created. In the beginning was God. Through him, all things were, were made. He creates and is not created, but eternally exists, and all things exist only through his agency. Because he exists, because he has enabled them to exist, because he sustains their existence, that's the only reason they exist. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Acts seventeen twenty eight. for in him we live and move and have our being. And this is Paul speaking to the Athenians, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Even in the Gentile, philosophical world, people are coming to the conclusion that we must belong to some supreme created being, whatever that is, whether that be our own conscience or our own goodwill or an actual deity. But we are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. It's not by our own power. It's not because we created ourselves. He is the creator. Remember right in the beginning, God said, let there be. And what happened? Did he have to phone BCMM and say, hey, you said the lights are coming out at nine o'clock. It's 10 past, what's going on? Or did he say, let there be light? And there was? Not candles, not paraffin lamps, not a generator. <laughs> let there be light. And there was the word of God. Through the word were all things created. And that word now come in bodily form as Jesus the Messiah. By and through his word he created everything. Person of Jesus Christ. He's the source of creation, the source of life. That word that God used to reveal himself is the same word he used to create and the same word he used to save. The word that gave life and light. Without Christ, we cannot have life, at least not in its full abundance. Now we move on to verse four and five, and we've gone very quickly. I'm a little bit sad. I thought this was going to take longer. <laughs> the word for life here is zoe, and that doesn't refer to just biological life. Zoe in the Greek refers to eternal and abundant life, life to the full, life. If you think of joyful life, if you wake up in the morning and smell the roses or whatever and it's a nice smell and you've got fresh air and you uh, eat nice food and you walk around and you just are happy and you're living life to the full. He came to give Zoe, to give life, the fullness of life. In him, the word was the eternal and abundant life and only in him. Verse four, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We do not have abundant and eternal life without him. Life might be man's greatest asset. 
but it's a misguided asset. Our life is temporary. And if our spiritual lives, where it really matters, this life on earth we know is temporary. But the life that we have in our spirits is what matters. And because of that original sin, the consequence thereof, our spirits are dead without Christ. Dead in that we don't have Zoe without him. In him was light. Not in us, not in anything else. So it goes without saying, without him, we cannot have Zoe. That Zoe would counteract the spiritual death that occurred in man after the fall. Man is dead in his trespasses and his will is enslaved to sin. That is not life in abundance. That's not life eternal. That's not life in full. We know the Bible tells us we were dead in our trespasses. We know our wills are enslaved to sin. The result is death, never in life, but in him. The word that was with God and the word that is God, we find Zoe. We shall see in John 2, like I said, that life is is a recurring theme. We will read things in John like, whoever believes in me shall have eternal life. We will read, you need to be born again. You need to, we will read, I am the truth, the way, and the life. We read, I am the resurrection and the life. I have come that they may have life abundantly. But it doesn't stop there. In this one, in Avto, Zoe, Ain, life was and that life was the light of mankind. And that false is brilliant quality of light. It's a shining light. And when it's used in relation to God, it talks about his truth and revelation. It talks about him overcoming the darkness. It talks about his victory. It talks about his, his uh, presence, uh, his, his um, shining forth to mankind. Appearance before mankind is showing himself before mankind. Not, not physically and literally, but truth and revelation, like I've said. And that truth and revelation that we see in the light is what leads us back to the life. In him was life. And this life was the light of mankind. The light of mankind. The life of the word is the light of mankind. That light is for mankind to come back to the life. If we think of the physical realm, all physical life is dependent on light. God created light first and then life. We work during the light and we sleep during the darkness, at least most of us anyways. I have been given to a couple late night FIFA sessions. But, <laughs> but for the most part, we work during the light and sleep during the darkness. We need light to do what we have to do. And these two are closely connected and this extends too to the spiritual realm. 
How can our spirits be regenerated? How can our spirits be set free from that spiritual death if we do not have the light of the life that sets us free? How can we see in the darkness? And how can we ever see if God does not show us his light, which is the life in the word? The word is life, and the word gives light to us to show us the way back to life. The problem is the world loves the darkness. We know this. Naturally, the world does not want the light. We spoke about this with the law. What did the Lord do to the Israelites? It pointed out their sins. It showed them that they were enslaved to sin. It showed them that they could not come to salvation because of their sinful natures. We do not want the light that shows us the life because without the word we are dead in darkness. The light doesn't make sense to us. We aren't looking for life and therefore the light doesn't make sense to us. So in actual fact, when we see the light of life, it becomes an adversary to us. That's why you're either with Christ or you are against Christ. There's no in between. If you're not living for him, you're living against him. It's lightness and darkness. Day-night difference. John 12, 46. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. How do we believe in him? We have to follow the light that leads us back to life so that we will not remain in darkness, in spiritual death. How can we live in the light if we do not believe in him? How can we believe in him if he has not impressed the light upon our hearts? We know what is right and wrong, for that light of life will shine in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Some of your translations might say the darkness did not comprehend it, but this is a little bit of a misunderstanding. The word there is katalaven, and that means to pronounce, to pounce rather, to pounce and overpower to overcome, to struggle with, to contend with, and overcome. And the darkness cannot do that. We read in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will struggle with it, the darkness will pounce on it, but it cannot overpower it. It cannot overcome it. So what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, there is no excuse for ignoring the word. There is no excuse, for it shines in the darkness. We can't say, well, I didn't know, I didn't see, I didn't hear. The light shines in the darkness. We will see the light. And that's why we'll either follow the light or we will fight against the light. Like I said, we are either for Christ or against Christ. Either light, light is life or light is an adversary. 
It will shine in the darkness. And secondly, it means that Jesus has the ultimate victory. His light will shine in the darkness. And as much as the darkness tries, it cannot overcome the light. If we go outside now because it's six to nine, <laughs> load shedding, and we had to light a candle, that small candle would break the darkness. He overcame the grave. He atoned for our sins, and he reconciled us to the Father. He has given us access through the light to the life that is in him. Amen. And that's the end of our first Bible study. Verse 1 to 5. In the, wor in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Utos, which means this one, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things through Him were made, and without Him nothing that was made has been made. In Him life was, and the life was the light of man. And the light in the darkness shines, and the darkness it cannot overcome. Take home lessons. Firstly, Christ is eternal. Christ is in communion with God and Christ is God. He is God and yet he is also a distinct person of the Godhead. Through him, all things were created. He is the word of God. Through him, we live and move and have our beginning. He is the providential reason behind all things. He is the power and revelation, the word of God. And lastly, Christ offers eternal and abundant life. And Christ is the light too of this truth. Not only is life in Christ, but he also is the light of this life. He came down and showed us the way to this life. In the first five verses of the Gospel of John, when we look at it in this way, I think we've got quite a substantial chunk of the Gospel message just in the first five verses, the prologue of John's Gospel, and we have all of this. Christ is God. Christ, because He existed before everything else, He is God. Furthermore, all things through Him were created. And because of that, He is the life. But what do we do with that? Well, this life, this word, it was also the light of mankind that came down and showed mankind the way back to the life. 